0: India? Well, we better start thinking about them. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. We in America hear a lot about China these days. That balloon. Their intent to take Taiwan and end their independence. They took Hong Kong to the great regret of its citizens. And of course, China's being quite mean to the Uyghurs in their western provinces. But as big as they are, and they are indeed big, soon India will overtake China as the most populous country in the world. And with China's bad press lately, international companies are looking to India as a new base for manufacturing. India is expected to see unprecedented economic growth. That may allow it to leapfrog Germany and Japan as the world's third biggest economy by 2027. Of course, they finally broke free from colonial Britain in 1947. The huge South Asian country has been led by interesting leaders. We remember the legendary Mahatma, Mohandas Gandhi. But who listening knows much about its current leader, Prime Minister Narendra Modi? If you care about the future of the world, and I know you do or you wouldn't be listening, you'll find out today. We're discussing India. How much freedom is there in India? Is it a democracy? Though much less visible than Russia or China at this moment, is the growing power of India reason for concern or is it really benign? So much of 20th century Western history was shaped by, of course, British obsession with India. Protecting its roots to the subcontinent, land and sea access through the Middle East were held jealously, often fiercely, just so they could get to India of an unbroken root. India was known as the jewel in the crown. Today, America's population has skyrocketed to about 330 million. India, you ready for this, is over 1.417 billion and will surpass China this year, which has held that distinction as most populous country since 1950. Yet politically, the focus remains on China in a new version of the Cold War. China is certainly known for its manufacturing, but has an aging population, and its brand is tarnished more and more by ever more overt, ugly repression. With each passing year, as China's sheen diminishes, India is attracting more and more companies desperate to find new bases for manufacturing. The mojo seems to be with India in the second decade of the 21st century. But what kind of country is India these days? Is there freedom, diversity, a decent, stable environment? Is it a free market economy? Is there peace on the land? Is it an open or closed society? Is there any kind of culture war? Is it free from religious domination? Or is it becoming more theocratic like Iran, the state of Israel, and so many other brutal states? Most important, is it a democracy, a real democracy? Is there still a political tradition of Gandhiism? And who is this Modi? What does this powerful new India mean to the rest of the world? With us today to shed light into our huge but lesser known subject is Zahir Jahanamad, who uh, has served as senior foreign policy aide in the US Congress and as the advocacy director for Amnesty International. He's writing a book about the aftermath of the 2002 Gujarat riots which, frankly, I had not heard about, involved the focus of our discussion today, Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Zahir john Mohammed is now a visiting assistant professor at Bowdoin College. Thank you so much for being with us today, Zahir. Really appreciate your being on Keeping Democracy Alive.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Bert. It's my pleasure.
0: Many of us have seen the movie from 1982, Gandhi. We remember a scene where India gains its independence from colonial Britain, and there are two long lines of people walking. The Hindus Mm -hmm. travel one way, Muslims another. And eventually, violence breaks out. My understanding, which may be severely limited, was that what had been one region was divided into two east and west Pakistan for Muslims, and India for Hindus. And I also believe the Mahatma Gandhi tried to bring peace to the two sides, Hindu and Muslim. Before we get into the violence that happened in 2002, which I frankly hadn't known about, I'm sorry, please refresh our memories about the realities behind the movie regarding independent India's founding in
1: 1947. That's a great place to start, because I do think all conversations in some ways have to start with 1947. Of course, India gains its independence, but that independence is, um, at the same time, occurs... At the same time of one of the greatest tragedies, I think, uh, in in human history, which is the partition, which led to the displacement of uh, as many as 15 million and killed more than a million people. So just a staggering amount of loss uh, happened in that year. And India, which has a very sizable Muslim population, population today is about 200 million, basically one of the largest Muslim populations in the world. Some say there'll be more Muslims in India than the entire Middle East combined. Uh, within the next 10 to 15 years um, so you have pakistan which was a muslim majority nation created on the basis of faith and then india which was doggedly um, secular and doggedly mm. um the a constitution being very specifically no we are not just going to be a place for for muslim this is a place for hindus and christians and muslims and and, and, all, and all and all faiths and the con- the flag itself we have the 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 orange the white and the and, and the green It's the the multiple faiths of India. Pakistan is a green flag. The Pakistan flag is green and has the crescent moon, which is a sign of Islam. You know, Bangladesh was created, you know, at the time it was East and West Pakistan. Of course, that split up in 1971. And so... The, the, those, when you think about the, the Hindu Muslim divide, it'd be incorrect to say that it started in 1947 it's, or, or it, it, that the, somehow the, the British started this Hindu Muslim divide. It had been going on since forever, but mm-hmm. they certainly exacerbated because of the, the concept of divided rule. Now, you're correct to say that Gandhi did advocate for Hindu Muslim unity, but Gandhi also, and, and in, in India, he, there's much more of a critical conversation both on the left and on the right. Now, on the right, People and we'll talk about it in a moment. Narendra Modi, the current prime minister, his followers, many of whom you know, will make fun of Gandhi and and will celebrate the person who assassinated Gandhi. Gandhi was assassinated by Hindu nationalists, mm. but Gandhi also infused the public space with a lot of Hinduism. So when he would talk about India's essence, he would talk about these Hindu traditions, and and so there was a lot of injection of. Religious ethos into the public space by Gandhi, uh-huh. whereas Nehru, um, India's first prime minister, uh, was a doggedly secular man. I mean, this is what's fascinating about India and Pakistan: is the early leaders were all educated in in England. So there's mm-hmm. this very much anti-colonial. There's this anti-colonialist legacy against against the British, but they're all educated in English and speaking you know fluent English. So mm-hmm. that's a fascinating little little footnote to history.
0: Uh, yes, England. How they ever thought they could rule the world with their cuisine, I don't understand. The French I can give. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Narendra Modi is currently prime minister. Yeah. And I doubt that many listeners have ever heard of the 2002, I hope I pronounce it right, Gujarat riots.
1: Gu- Gujarat, yeah, yeah.
0: Who, what were they? Are people still afraid to talk about them? And what was now Prime Minister Narendra's role in what happened in 2002? I understand there was some uh, blood shed.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's how I sort of became interested in this issue, just for the listeners little bit of background about myself because this will help inform my conversation about Gujarat. My family, I was born and raised in California. My folks are from, from Tanzania where we are originally from Gujarat. We're originally from India's western state. So Gujarat is the homeland both to Gandhi and also the founder of Pakistan, which is another interesting oh, part wow. of history. So um, my, my grandparents left in the early 1900s for Tanzania, and then my parents came to the US in the 70s before I was born. I was in Gujarat. I happened to go uh, not long after 9-11 to go work with an NGO. I went to visit my ancestral homeland. I was in my 20s. What exactly happened yeah. to set the stage? Narendra Modi, young 50-something-year-old um, politician, um, Ardent Hindu Nationalist is part of a group known as the RSS. He becomes chief minister in October of 2001. Uh, he actually enters the, the Gujarat legislature in February, February 24th. Now on the 27th of February, a train carrying pilgrims is attacked in a Gujarat city known as Godra. It was set on fire. Um, the allegation was that there was an altercation between Hindus and Muslims. There were Hindus in the train, Muslims are very poor in India, or many of them. Mm-hmm. They were selling um, tea and biscuits on the, the platform. There was an argument. Um, the argument led to a fight, and the Hindus inside, two of the, the coaches were burned, so 59 people were killed. Yikes. Um, that led to a very spontaneous, um, well, I should say, what some called the spontaneous, I would actually call it an organized uh-huh. um, response uh-huh. against against Muslims that lasted for months. Now, I was about four hours away by car in a city called Ahmedabad, which is, or Ahmedabad, which is the most populous city of Gujarat. I was staying, I'm a Muslim, um, but I was staying with a Hindu host family. I had just, uh, was working with an NGO. I'd only been working in NGO for actually for a few days. So what happened for those next few months was, you know, I, 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 I know I've written, I've used the word riots oftentimes, but you know, as I've done more research on this and I get further along with my own book, um, I use the word pogrom, it was an organized response. Mm. Um, So the first day of the violets go out on my street, people, uh, Hindu mobs had lists, they were using electoral data they knew which business was owned by a Muslim, which was owned by a Hindu. Mm-hmm. And they would go, they would know which, uh, you know, some, some businesses, you know, it's pretty known that's owned by a Muslim. They might have a name like, you know, Salmans, etc. you know? Um, but, but others, um, you know, they might have a name that's less known, like a name like Zenith, for example. It's like, you know, you can't really tell who owns a place called Zenith. Um, and then like, you know, the restaurant was burned out. Um, now, Modi, you um, so very much stoked the flames by giving speeches, by giving more compensa- compensation to those who were targeted in the train versus those who were targeted in the riots. There were about there were thousands of Muslims who were killed, mm. um, tens and tens of thousands of displaced, um, uh, you know, hundreds of women were raped uh, very brutally, and all rape, of course, is brutal. But we're talking about. You know, uh, being raped with objects. You know, there was a, a woman I remember who was raped, and then um, after her body had cooled, they burned they burned her body, and then they carved carved the word "Om" onto her vagina. Um, so it's pretty pretty gruesome. Now that was also followed by a boycott, an economic boycott of Muslims. So I know this because I was volunteering in the camps and getting something like, uh, you know, tampon, sanitary napkins, getting like diabetes medicine was very, very difficult because so many Hindus were boycotting um, Muslims. Um, the Washington Post reported that the boycott was so strong that it did led to starvation among some Muslims. You know, um, so it was a you know intense time. Um, sure. Now Modi himself. Um, mm. And Modi himself, uh, you know, actually grew in popularity um, in response. Um, so, so that was, um, so he, in the election that December, you know, many people, myself, including, you know, a lot of liberal Indians were like, oh, this is it, Modi's done. You know, Indian voters, or I should say very specifically Gujarati voters, well, they don't want someone who's going to. I mean, the whole state was shut down, you know, for, for months. That um, it was the opposite. He actually won um, in a landslide, um, and it was his biggest electoral victory yet. And he's been sort of riding that wave now. You know the the apologetic line that um, a lot of people said, including President Barack or former President Barack Obama. Uh-huh. You know, Time Magazine was that was that was that you know he had changed and that he had sort of pivoted to development, et cetera. But that was just naive thinking. He hasn't apologized for the riots. He hasn't. There are still mosques that have yet to be rebuilt. Um, he, uh, You still have Muslims, you know, over 20 years later living in sort of makeshift uh, relief camps that have sort of become sort of permanent enclaves. You have Muslims living next to trash dumps. And religious, the, relig- the, the, the religious hatred, the, the hatred towards Muslims have begun, Moved from like a de facto to a de jure, which is to say, the law itself has become very muscular in its antagonism towards uh. Muslims. So today, for example, um, if you're a Muslim in in the city where I was doing my reporting, you know, um, it, it, you you know, you used to be able to have a, a stand, you know, to go and sell kebabs, and a lot of these kebab guys at the corners they they'll make really good money. Mm. But now it is illegal for um, to sell meat. Um, because Gandhi, of course, was famously a vegetarian. So it is illegal to sell meat on the street. You just cut off somebody's livelihood right there. Um, and so um, the the conditions are just really, I mean, to me, if we're not using the word ethnic cleansing when we mm. talk about what's happening in India, then we're missing the picture. This mm. is ethnic cleansing, and I will fight anyone who disagrees with me.
0: Wow. People, I, I, I don't think people knew this about Modi and... and uh, his version of of, of Hinduism. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. We're talking about the realities of a very large and growing India. Uh, our guest today is Jahir, uh, Zahir Zahir John Muhammad. Zahir John yeah. Muhammad. Sorry about that. And we're talking about yeah. the the current prime minister, who is a. Uh, Boy, he's he's really different. And it's interesting, you know, as you talk about the atrocities that happened then and and the the war between uh, two uh, different groups of people. uh, Boy, we've heard this before, and it gets ugly. And we hadn't known this about... And, you know, people have this impression of Mahatma Gandhi as this, you know, frail, uh, very smart... Uh, well-educated, uh, but very humble uh, person. Uh, but he he promoted nonviolent direct action. But Modi, uh, you you talk about leaders. There, people. It seems like people all over the world have some kind of attraction to big tough guys. You know, uh, in what ways is Modi a different kind of leader? How did how did these riots, this violence, give Modi his distinct identity?
1: So yeah, so okay. When when we think about global tough guys, right? Mm -hmm. We think about like we think about let's say um, you know in the Duterte in the Philippines, right? This guy Mm -hmm. that will you know boast about you know himself going out and and and. Knocking off, like you know, uh, drug dealers, right? Mm-hmm. Or we think about we think about like um, you know Donald Trump talking mm-hmm. about, oh, I can go and do whatever I want on Fifth Avenue, whatever the quote is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and bragging about grabbing women and inappropriate, you know, mm-hmm. like so. Okay, now, Modi's not like that, right? Now Modi will definitely give fiery speeches in which he will you know belittle Muslims um, and will insinuate that Muslims are you know, don't belong in India. You know, like he will—he's very famous about, let's say, uh, referring to Christian candidates. Um, you know, by their, by their, by their, their, by their religion. You know, it's like, oh, you know, like you have a, maybe you think more about the Vatican than India. You know, I mean, he has very famous, you know, speeches like that. You know, when people have criticized him for moving the Gujarat elections up in 2002, he said that you know this Indian Christian. India has a long historic Christian community. We're just saying that because he's Christian. So Modi's Modi's muscular is not uh, you know his, his muscularity is not the same as like Duterte or even Erdogan. You know he has a very different image, which is to say he's someone who does yoga. Uh. He's someone who's a vegetarian. He's somebody who. So so when we talk about like the muscular side of Modi. It's not in the manner of like the crudeness mm-hmm. that we get from like Donald Trump or Duterte. Mm-hmm. You know, now, obviously, I think Modi has a different form of crudeness in the way that he's very petty, and the way that he he never he never forgets when someone has slighted him. He has a very very he's very deeply insecure, which we see with a lot of you know strong men around the world. Um, but um, where where Modi has been so successful, um, and I think this is where a lot of journalists, frankly, were quite naive in 2014 when he won was how vindictive he was so if you are a uh-huh. um you know including to people in his own party so i remember when i would interview people in his own party and I his party is the hindu nationalist party known as the bjp mm-hmm. the bharatiya, bharatiya uh, janata party that that you know people in his party i would interview them and my i would turn off my recorder and as i was like packing up my bags they would always they would always criticize Modi. Always.
0: Once because the micro- Modi doesn't. Yeah, once the microphone once the, was off.
1: Yes, because Modi <laughs> doesn't allow any. It's not because they like love Muslims. Come on, not not at all. It's because Modi doesn't allow anyone else to speak. Wow. It's all about Modi. So once oh, the microphone was off, they would be like, ah, oh, you know. Now, as that has changed now, I don't think if I did those interviews today, they would be because now. There, people are just much more nervous. You know, his power has become, you know, there was a space when I started my reporting in 2011, there was a much more robust civil society in India. Uh What makes me, frankly, deeply afraid of what's happening in India is the lack of a robust civil society. I mean, look at the media houses. You know, the media houses are all owned by Uh, wealthy business individuals Uh. those wealthy business individuals have ties in other industries and modi knows to go after them you don't really have i mean there are still some great independent journalists there's websites like scroll and the wire you know that are online only and they're wonderful but really you know they're just a fraction um the most of the, the civil society has been completely gutted um, and so you don't have people standing. And that's why I think this is we're we're heading towards something really, really scary. It's very scary already. And, and and you know, I was telling someone the other day, look, I, I worked in D.C. for 10 years. If you told me, like, I, I stand by this, it is easier in D.C. to talk about Palestinian rights than it is to talk about India. Why? Even though obviously there is a strong Israeli lobby and we know about APAC, and we know that. There is a constituency, a growing constituency, uh-huh. who wants to talk about Palestinian rights. Yes. If, when I work in Congress, if I get a member, if I you know tell a member of Congress, hey, listen, can you make a statement about you know what's happening in Gaza right now? And they'll say, can you get me cover? Which means, can mm-hmm. you get me people to support me in my home district? I say, yeah, I, I'll just you know get my phone out and I'll get people. But if I go when Biden meets with Modi in June in the U.S. If I meet with a, a politician and I say, hey, can you speak something? And they say, can you get me cover? I'll say, no, I'm sorry. Because where's the Indian American community? We're silent. And let me be more specific, where are Hindu Americans? Yes, of course, there are a few that are speaking up, but largely, let's just be real, silent, completely silent. And I saw this with myself. I'm Muslim American, I'm Indian American. I got nothing but antagonism for you know over a decade. More than a decade, when I would write articles and give speeches, I've been speaking and writing about Gujarat for 20 years now. I still haven't seen a shift. A little bit, yeah, but not enough to mobilize people. Wow! Indian you know, Americans we're just we're just so excited about oh wow look at us we're doctors oh wow look right. at us now we're winning Oscars wow right. and it's just like I'm sorry it's this, it's this it's this it's this like oh like you know like us mentality and it's so it's so it's so pathetic. You know, I still haven't seen it. I, I wish I could say otherwise, but, but you know, a, and I would love for it to exist. And I'm trying to organize a panel of Indian Americans about, and, and my rule is that I want them all to be U.S. born like myself. But I kind of fill out a panel of four. I mean, that's how few there are.
0: Wow interesting people are afraid to t- that's so fascinating Maybe-
1: well it's not just that
0: they're afraid to talk it's also that
1: remember like there are these romanticized visions of india so yes, i grew up yes you know like when you're when you're when you're a person like when you're let's say like a pakistani you know i do think there's a difference being like the way oftentimes white people react it's like oh you're pakistani and then they associate that with like taliban or osama bin Laden hiding out there etc right when i tell people i'm indian it's just like, oh, wow, oh, my God, I love Indian food. Oh, my God, I love yoga. Oh, my God, I've been to Goa. And I'm like, listen, I, I like all of those foods. I love Indian foods, right? I like Goa. I love I love Indian movies, too. But let's just not this, – so this overly romanticized idea, mm. you know? And now, like, when students come and tell me, like, oh, my God, I just – you know, after I graduate, I'm just going to go to India and I just kind of to go and like, you know, just like ride around. I'm just like, okay, like that India exists too. But can we also reckon with the fact that like one of the largest Muslim populations is being ethnically cleansed and you're sitting there thinking about doing mm. yoga? Mm. Really? Mm. Come on now. Wow. I man. mean, am I going to go to, am I going to go to Sudan in 2004 and be like, yeah, you know, there's a really great yoga scene in Sudan. Really? In 2004? Isn't there something else happening in 2004 in
0: Sudan? I don't know. I thought there was something. Wow. Uh, We do prefer our romanticized visions, that's for sure. And and, and you think of uh, the Beatles going to to India, you know, and how, wow, hey, that's cool. That must be what it is. That must be the reality of it. But what about, is there, you know, here in the United States, we have two major political parties. They're both, you know, kind of corporate-owned, for sure, except for Bernie Sanders and very, very few others. But what about the political parties? There's the BJP. There was the Congress Party that held power for many, many years. Is there? Has there been this long-term stability between, like, a couple of big parties in India, like the U.S. and the U.K., or is it really different
1: yeah, well, I mean, so first of all, you mentioned about the Beatles. So I think when we talk about, about India, like, you know, India once was, it did have like this, you know, there once, I mean, the India that we see today is such a marked difference from the past, mm. where in the past there was, you know, this, you know, um, this wonderful Hindu-Muslim unity. Remember, you know, India mm-hmm. is a remarkable experiment. The fact that India has been around, you know, for oh. 70 years and had a, a, a peaceful transition of power. So I think that's a remarkable thing about India—the fact that India is a country with so many religious groups, so many languages. You know, the, the joke is that you every 10, 10 steps in India, the language changes. Mm. Um, and so, despite the fact that India has had religious riots every few years, you haven't had you haven't had um, you know like military coups like we see in Pakistan and mm. like we see in many countries. Um, I mean, even I would argue in the United States. I think what we saw happening on January six was was a, a coup. Um, now, most of India's history has been governed by the Indian National Congress, which is the party of mm. the first Prime Minister Nehru, um, and they've governed for most of India's seventy uh, year history. Um, starting in the na- 1990s, there's been this you know post you know uh, liberalism. There's been a rise of Hindu nationalism, uh, and and part of the part of the theory of, you know, a lot of like scholars like Christophe Jefferlo, who's uh, one of the world's foremost experts on Hindu nationalism, is that the reason is that it's this rapid urbanization and people seeking an identity. Um, Mm -hmm. And this urbanization has come with um, both an opening up to society, but also a response to that opening up of society as well, too. Um, But also remember, like in the, the late 1990s, you know, it was common to see, Cover of uh, The Economist and the cover would be like India and China, neck and neck. No one would say India and China are neck and neck today. Mm. It's mm. impossible. I mean impossible. I mean just go just go on an, an Indian street I mean, go on a street in Shanghai. It's just fundamentally different. And I think that that's like a, a deep insecurity that, uh-huh. that that India has. <sighs> India is not. India's no way. I think America, rightfully so, is concerned about Chinese hegemony. Right. You know, I mean, right. look at look at look at look at Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies are now being, I mean, they're being filmed in such a manner so as not to offend the Chinese audience. That's how much power. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, that's how much power uh, China has. You know, uh, that's not true with India, and it won't be true with India, even though India's population, you know, you know will outstrip China.
0: Very interesting that. Uh... those those countries and those leaders who are actually kind of insecure and and trying to look tough and like oh those guys are a lot bigger than i am that's a dangerous situation people don't always act uh, wisely in situations like that uh huh i wonder how much of an influence that is and in this country these days uh, there's Uh, religious nationalism, it's a serious, serious threat to, you know, traditional uh, uh, Republican democracy. And I use that with small letters on both words. Uh, But I I wonder about any kind of a a culture war there. And sometimes it gets a a little bit violent. It sounds like uh, it's not all that uh, dissimilar there. And there's, you know, there was the on, on, on uh, January 6th, there was the obvious protesters there, you know, at the Capitol in Washington, uh, but who was really behind that?
1: Now, when you talk about, like, the cultural world differences, I think the real difference is that in the United States, there's a, a huge demographic shift that is happening, mm. which is to say that, you know, um, in the next, I don't know, we thing the statistic, the next, you know, 20 or 30 years or so, America will be a non-white majority country. Right. I mean, this is already happening in California, um, and so I think that there is these anxieties about these about Inxieties. these demographic shifts. I mean, and I and I, and I see this in campus. You know, I see this from the time when I was a student to the time that I that you know that I'm now a professor. It's a fundamentally a different time. You know, there was very little space you know, as a person of color. Look, I got a scholarship for my first master's for people of color, and I was told by professors, don't tell anybody, you know, about the scholarship because it's divisive, yeah. you know, and I was really ashamed. Now, it's the opposite. Now, you know, you know, I teach at Bowdoin College, students will be celebrated for getting these things, and they'll be put on the, the campus newspaper to different climates, and that's a wonderful thing. There's a reaction and a backlash to that. Now, what's happening in India is that there's a perception and Modi has exacerbated this, that Muslims, who are about 20 you know, um, who are about, you know, between depending on where they are in India, about uh-huh. 10 to 20% of the population, that they will outstrip Hindus. It's demographically not possible. But uh-huh. if you go and you go talk to people and you say... Tell us about Muslims. They'll say, "Oh, Muslims have five, six kids. Muslims are going to outstrip us. Muslims have this. They are so, you know, mm. they get money straight from Pakistan. Oh, the mosques get money from Saudi Arabia." Just this litany, litany of anxieties about Muslims. I, where, I mean, let's let's take this line about mosques are funded by Saudi Arabia. Where, where is that happening exactly? I don't deny that Muslims have been influenced by know, growing Saudi powers around the world. I get that. I'm a mm-hmm. Shia Muslim. I've seen, I've seen firsthand my uncle was assassinated in Pakistan. I, I understand this growing Saudi hegemony in the Muslim world, but where is that? But it's, that's used as a way in which to, um, it's a way in which to enforce a certain uh, anti-Muslim sentiment that has seeped so deep into society that Muslims have also internalized that as well, too. I think one of the things that we we don't think about enough is the extent to which the Islamophobia has been internalized by Muslims themselves. Now remember, the riots happened in 2002. We have to remember, obviously, what happened just a few months earlier. We're talking, this is February, 2002. Just, it's just months after 9-11, right? Modi is taking advantage of this global moment of saying, you had your 9-11 moment, you were attacked on 9-11, we were attacked on. He even used to call it. In India, they don't say. They say the the date first. We were attacked on 27 two. You know, this was our 27 two. Oh you know, and so and so we you are dealing with. You know, and so and and look. You know, the thing, Bert, is like mm. I when I came back from India, and I would give. You know lectures or whatever about it you know that's that's like we're talking that's the the peak of like white explaining you know Mm -hmm. at least in my mind it's like i would give a lecture and someone would say okay well that's the muslim perspective let's get a more neutral perspective and some white dude would come on who doesn't know how to pronounce any of the words and has never been to india and he'd tell me well no india is actually not like that because india is not pakistan and that's what india has said for the longest time right when i worked in the u.s congress you try to criticize India about, let's say, the fact that right now you have, you know, Christians who might sing Christmas carols, you know, out in public, will be beaten up by Hindu nationalists, just singing Christmas carols.
2: Whoa.
1: Now, now, the the line that has been said again and again is, you know, we are not Pakistan, we are not Pakistan, right? Um, that's that's not really going to work anymore. I mean, but also it's like. You know, because today the problems in India are are so intense that, I, you know, there is a spotlight, rightfully so, and we're talking about Indian Muslims are being stripped of their citizenship. But India still gets away with it. Why do they get away with it? Right. Because Hindu nationalism, as brutal as it is, it doesn't threaten U.S. interests. Islamic fundamentalism does. Islamic fundamentalists are going out and attacking you know, um, I mean, take your pick, whether it's the World Trade Center, whether it's the attacks in Paris, whether it's, I mean, unfortunately, they've happened in so many parts of the world. Hindu nationalists have no desire. In fact, it's the opposite. When I got so many of my interviews with Hindu nationalists, because I would call them, they would hear my California accent, and they'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, an American <laughs> wants to talk to me. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. you want to talk to me? you want to talk to me? you want to talk to me? And then I would show up. And then they would, they would say, tell me your name again. And I'd say, uh-huh. Zaheer. Like, wait, hear what? John Muhammad. Oh, you didn't tell me you're Muslim. And I was like, what uh, like, am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, you know? And I laugh, they were just but like, they, it just just it, No, 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 of course. Yeah, I totally do laugh. I mean, it's like, and it, they would just sort of like, they would just sort of like their minds would just you know, be blown because they're just like, wait a minute, like, you tricked me. And I was like, why did I trick you? He said, You're American. I was like, I am American. I, was, I mean, I was born and raised in America. And so they would just be like, and they would just like look like, like just so, you know. And that happened. I can't tell you how many times that happened. That would happen at the gym. I would be working out and I might take a phone call. People hear my American accent. They like crowd around me, you know, and they're like, Oh my God, you're American. We want to be friends with you. And then all of a sudden, I say my name and they're just like, Oh, okay. And it's just, it's, it's just like, it's both. Hilarious, but it's also deeply, deeply prophetic and deeply, deeply
0: offensive. yeah, it's deeply offensive. It's deeply offensive, I must say and, yeah. and 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 the thing about invisibility, that invisibility is a is often a factor in in what happens politically I, I, in the world. Uh, the fact that you know we there's this tremendous trumped up and I mean that literally fear of Muslims and the Muslim ban um, and yet, Hindu nationalism, oh, that doesn't threaten America. What the hell do we care? You know, it's like—and and, and we claim to be uh, supporting the independence of people. And when their rights are threatened, you know, we, we there was the claim in the Iraq War that that uh, Saddam was this brutal dictator. Well, he was, but there's a lot of other brutal dictators that, you know, just because they don't threaten us means we don't go after them. Uh oh, fascinating. But And we don't know this— and for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. We're talking with us uh, here, uh, John Muhammad, uh, about uh, India, something that we don't really talk about these days, because it's it's Hindu nationalism. It's not so much Muslim nationalism, but it can get kind of ugly. And here, uh, President mm-hmm. Biden is about to meet. With uh, this. uh, Well, is he is he a dictator? I mean, is he how how dangerous is uh, Narendra Modi? I mean, he comes from this uh, kind of backing of what happened in 2002 in Marjorat. How 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 dangerous really is he and what kind of should should Biden be meeting with him and, and just making nice with him?
1: So, okay, well let's let's divide that question into now what kind of sure. leader is he? And then we'll talk about whether I should okay. Now, is he a dictator? Um I, I don't like to use the word dictator because there is, there is an election and there are elections in India and thankfully that still exists. Is he authoritarian? Absolutely. hundred uh-huh. percent. Uh-huh. Okay. He's an elected authoritarian. There's no question about that now. And I, I would not say that in 2014, even though I was highly critical of him and 2014 oh, as well. Wow. So what has happened in the, in his two terms, um, the next elections will be in 2024, um, uh, which he's probably going to win. He's 72 right now. Um, What's happened was that he has attacked the judiciary. He's attacked the media mm. and he's attacked civil society. And most recently, the head of the opposition, his name is Rahul Gandhi, who's the great grandson and the grandson um, of Indian prime ministers, um, at, uh, was um, uh, was was arrested um, for uh, giving a speech that was deemed offensive. Um, so you know now we're getting into authoritarian category. I mean we're talking about. I mean it just sort of shows the pettiness of Modi. Um, you know Modi is somebody who you know is known to you know walk into a meeting and he might say, Oh, Burke Cohen. Ah, interesting. Uh-huh. Cohen, Cohen, uh-huh. Cohen, Cohen. Ah, yes, yes, Cohen, Cohen. I once met uh-huh. someone named Cohen. You know, I think he was in Jerusalem. Yes, not in, not in India. He was in Jerusalem, and it's like, I don't know anything about your identity, Bert. But you know, right. a person can can yeah. lead, can think what they want with that type of very offensive. Very know, quick uh, rhetoric. Yeah. yeah, yes, exactly, right. And then we see that with this with with Trump as well too. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's an idiot, but he's also really smart.. Okay. Yes. <laughs> now um, now, now in terms of now whether or not Biden should meet with him, you know, I have to put on my former congressional hat staff staff you know position and think, mm-hmm. obviously Biden's going to meet with him, right? You know, India's too too powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, for me as like a, a former congressional aide, I know that's going to happen. What I would hope we have for the first time the first black vice president, but also the first Asian American. She's half Indian as well, too. Oh right. It's for there to be uh, for there to be, you know, some at least private <sighs> criticism about what's happening. Now we're talking about you know I don't hold my breath in terms of this administration sort of going to bat for mm. for Muslims. I mean, what have they really done uh, on on Uyghurs in China? Yeah. Now that we look at, there is footage of Christians um, passing out Bibles in, in India. Like, at a, now we're not talking like on the street to evangelize, to, you know, to, to proselytize, but actually just like at a book fair and they're beaten up. Mm. And that's like footage. Mm. I mean, one of the challenges right now in India is how do you expose this Hindu nationalism mm-hmm. when the Hindu nationalists expose themselves the best? So mm. a Muslim home will be demolished right, a, a Muslim home will be demolished on the grounds that it's, quote unquote, illegal. And all of a sudden, uh, an, an Indian politician from Modi's party will, put, will video himself and broadcast it on Instagram or whatever, Twitter, about how happy he is. <sighs> so so when, we, when I think about it as an activist, you think about like, we need to expose what's happening in Darfur by showing footage, but they're actually providing the footage themselves. So then all of a sudden the issue really becomes about accountability. Why is this happening? It's happening because of the lack of accountability. Now this lack of accountability goes two ways. There's a lack of accountability in India. Now I'm not naive. I know that's not going to change. Right? I can't I can't imagine if we can Modi can say, I mean, Biden can say to Modi, yo, you know, you really gotta get this under control. No. Modi's not gonna do it. Why? Because electorally it works and he wants to win elections, right? Mm-hmm. All his rich friends are getting rich richer, okay? Mm-hmm. The international community can do more. Ah. They can speak up, and they have been—they have been shamefully silent on this ah, issue for a yes. really, really long time. Yes, you've got these pockets of pockets of you know groups like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, et cetera. But I don't see that. You know, um, remember, hmm. you know, and the Indian American community, which is becoming very, you know, very, you know, has been, but even more so, more, you know, wealthy and educated yes. and powerful and. Nothing. I mean, in New Jersey and one of the most um, uh, uh, biggest Indian communities, you have Hindu Americans taking a bulldozer and driving it around Muslim areas with a picture of Modi on it. Really? Right. Yes, because the bulldozer is the symbol. Why is the bulldozer the symbol? Because the bulldozer is it's Hindu nationalist hindu politicians taking the bulldozer and destroying muslim homes that's become a thing right the bulldozer is the symbol which is ironic right because if you go back and you look at the reporting on modi in 2013 14 15 those first few years he was elected of course in 2014 it was that oh you know modi has done a lot for development you know modi has done a lot for development and he was the person that was going to you know um it's a development for who? So right. when we think about India today, I think the question that you asked is like, is India still a democracy? It is a democracy. There are elections, right? right. But it is but it is an ethnic democracy in the way that we think about Israel as an ethnic democracy. It is a democracy for Hindus today. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. Um, now, India is a curious place, right? We, we don't have an issue like, let's say, in Pakistan, where if you're Ahmadi, which is a minority Muslim sect, you can't call yourself Ahmadi. That's, you know, that's not the case. But to be a Muslim today, now it is the, 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 the month of fasting, it is the month of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. there are Muslims who are attacked not for praying in public or praying in the mosque, they're attacked for praying in their own homes. Wow. So if I'm in DC., Jeez. and I'm not, right. if I'm in DC, I'm my talking point is the line that people have said for the longest time is yes, there is interreligious conflict in India, but religious freedom exists in India. And that's a line birth that I would have said 10, 10, 10 12 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would have said, yes, I, as a Muslim, I can, if I'm in my hotel room and I want to pray, I can do it. If I want to do what, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: within the privacy of my home, I can do it. I can go to the mosque. I can, I don't think that's the case anymore. Oh my I don't goodness. think so at all. I don't do so at all. I, I, I would even get nervous about going to India today um, just in going to a hotel because all it takes is somebody to say, mm. did you just let a Pakistani into the hotel? Is that, is that Pakistani? How could you let that Pakistani in? I'm not sure that's something that I want to do. And I know this because wow. I used to get asked, I used to get asked all the time when I would check into hotel rooms, um, are you Pakistani? Can you prove that you're not Pakistani? And it's like, it's like, it's like, I asked you, Bert, can you give me proof that you're not a fish? (laughs) How can you prove to me that you're not a fish? Now, if you can say I'm Bert Cohen, here's my driver's license. No, but you haven't proved that you're not a fish. What can you provide (laughs) me documentation that you're not a fish? I mean, that was the thing that Um. reminded me when I would go into, I carry documentation about who I am. I am Zahir John Muhammad. I have a main driver's license now. I have a U.S. passport. I have documentation that I teach at Bowdoin. I don't carry documentation of who I'm not. Oh my God! What India is basically saying today is, you must provide documentation of who you are not.
0: Boy, we've heard this story a lot, and it's always extremely ugly. And the fact that we're not hearing about it now—that we, you know, that people have this sort of instantaneous gut reaction, Muslim. You know, but not not Hindu nationalists. Whereas Hindu nationalists are are, are, are you know, cracking down on, on on Christians in in India. We don't hear about that these days. And you talk about progress. I rem- I'm old enough to remember when there was something called urban development, which was allegedly progress. And what that did was tear down whole neighborhoods that were you know where minority uh, groups were uh, living. And, and and that was called progress. And I'm curious as to your reaction. I I was a little bit shocked and taken aback by a New York Times column, by on March 30th, 2023, Nicholas Kristof wrote, glowingly, of India under Modi. Big big column, full page, saying enthusiastically it was poised to become a new quote great power, one of the pillars of the global economy that would change the world. He was like. Uh, just really praising India. What's your reaction to that? I don't know if you saw that column. I was uh, a little bit surprised. I did. I did.
1: You know, and I appreciate Nicholas Kristof. He, he did a lot to highlight the violence in, in Darfur. So I'm indebted for him for that. But look, his column was, was 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 ridiculous. I mean, it was such a. I mean, when we talk about economic progress, talk econo- about economic yeah, really. progress for who? Yeah. And and and, at, and at what and what expect and what expect. What expense? I guess the question for me is: I'm sorry, we just have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Islamophobia here. Yes. You know, you know, to you know I am too old to. I'm too old to like, and I've been I've I've, I've experienced these issues of Islamophobia for I'm 46 years old yeah. for the majority of my life. I mean, <sighs> to think that it started on 9/11, to think that it started mm. uh, with Donald Trump is it's it's silly, it's stupid, right? Mm. And it's just naive. You know, I'm old enough to remember the first Gulf War in 1991. So now, mm-hmm. oftentimes there's this there's this perception that you know uh, we can forgive when the abuses are committed against Muslims. It's like, well, yes, mm-hmm. India. I mean, I've seen this all the time, right? Where it's like, you know, remember Modi when Modi was like was um, campaigning for his first win in 2014. Remember Obama is like writing this piece in Time magazine. I mean, he's getting a state, you know. Uh, you know, red carpet welcome in Washington D.C. Mm. You know, you know, people are twenty five thousand people showed up to celebrate him in Madison Square Garden. The fall of his, you know, um, so there's this sense of like, as long as the victims are Muslim, then it's okay. Wow. Now, there's two ways to to to, to critique Chris Baus' argument. One is that's the, the point it's like, how can you write that piece when right now in the month of Ramadan, you can't. Like, if you're a Muslim, like my my Facebook. Uh, message my, my Facebook uh, inbox and my WhatsApp is filled with Indian Muslims, wealthy Indian Muslims, I should say, just because they have to have these means to, to ask me these questions. who you want to leave India right away? And they ask me how, like, hmm. how they can leave India right away. Hmm. But there's oftentimes a sense of like, well, it's okay as long as it's just Muslims. So there's that issue. But also developmentally, you know, who is exactly our who, where is this wealth being created? Let's look at the pandemic. Let's look what the pandemic did to India. Let's look at the demonetization of uh, India's policy. I mean, why is Modi leaning on this Hindu nationalism? He's leaning on it because it worked electorally and because developmentally he has failed. Remember, you look back at Modi in 2014. What did he talk about? Development. The word in Hindi is bakas, the cost the kas. We are all going to be wealthy. We're all going to be wealthy. Wow, we're going to finally catch up with India. I mean, sorry, with China. And now he doesn't talk about that because he knows he can't deliver on that.
0: It's, it's a funny, not funny, but Trump was saying how everybody was going to be wealthy. And that's how he played to the working class people. You know, and, you know, as as we know, the most dangerous aspect of Trump is not the man himself, but the millions who fawn over him and see him as a gift from God. And you, you wrote that several women have a crush on Modi, uh, is oh there, yeah, 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 yeah. Is there a, 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 and and a, a young? You, this is uniquely frightening. You wrote that Modi is a stud. A young man told me. Told me. Oh you. yeah, totally. totally. Uh, what, what the heck? There's a genera What what is going on there? What is this? Is this really? Is this a cult of personality? And in the meantime, you know, a, a, a very large part of the population is paying a price. Okay, let's let's
1: let's rewind back to. The start of the conversation um, about the 2002 riots. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book about the riots, one was to capture what happened and to share my own experiences. But it's but it's really also to show that when the riots happened, it wasn't like people were out there angry in the streets. It was the opposite. People were happy. People oh, were thrilled. Ah. People people were giving each other. I mean, i I'm, I'm a new father, and one of the things that nice. I I remember, oh, thank you, one of the things that I remember very distinctly was watching a, a young father uh, hold his toddler, and I had a toddler, um, you know, walking down the street so excited and showing with such love to his young, um, young kid, like what he was doing. And he was sharing this moment of joy with his son, uh, I don't know if his son or daughter. And so people were giving each other high fives. People were dancing. People were like, and so Modi had given people pride. People said they finally felt like, I finally felt like a man. I finally felt human. I finally felt like, yes, finally we're able to achieve something. Now, and so Modi has that image. I mean, Modi is kind of a weird figure in that sense. that like he brags about his chest size. I have a mm-hmm. 56 inch chest. It's one of his nicknames, right? It's, or 50, you know, 55 inch chest, whatever it is. And so, so there is the sense that like he is this new type of like muscular politician. People aspire for that because uh-huh. there's a, there's a sense of just like and I think this is the parallel that we see with white nationalism in the United States. Is white nationalism is oftentimes fueled by the sense of hurt. It is the right, hardest thing right, in the world right, to right. it is the hardest thing in the world to be white today. If you are a person of color, if you're if you're Jewish, life is. Million times easier, you yeah. know. It's like, really, I never yeah, really? thought about like, anti Semitism or the Holocaust or, or you know, racism or anything, but, 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 but there's also Islamophobia, kind of yeah. That, yeah, that yeah, that it is It is so much easier to be a Muslim. Like, I can't, you know, Hindus, like young Hindu guys would say to me, So, is it true that as a Muslim man, like, it's so easy to get like women? And I was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, this was always like these are like gym conversations. Is it true that you like get all the women? Oh, I was like, God. no. But it's just it's just the sense of like, you know, remember the early films in America where it was like the black man stealing the the white oh, woman. Right, you know, right, right, I right. mean, there are so many, um, you know, there are so many like films about you know Muslim men because there's sense of like Hindu women are their quote unquote property. Oh, so goodness. the Modi is someone who can save them from that that fantasy. And why does that fantasy exist? Look, it's like, you know, it, it, it exists because it, it works electorally. And having sure. worked in government, oh one of the things that spooked me when I worked in the US Congress was I would meet Republicans, and those Republicans are, were much more tame than the ones that we have today. <laughs> and when I would I would hang out with them one on one, you know, like no phones, no recorders, and I would say, like, yo, what's up? Like, why, sure. do you, why do you believe in this? And they would say, well, I don't believe in any of this nonsense. Right. It just works. Right. And that really creeped me out because I I can deal with an ideologue, but I don't know how to talk to an opportunist. Uh, an ideologue I can you can mm. kind of like talk to an ideologue and say, "Look, can we sort of like wrestle with these ideas?" But an opportunist, all they really care about. And I do believe mm. that Modi is an opportunist. I don't think now the elections are coming in twenty twenty four. He is seventy two years old. He will probably win in a landslide. And I do think that if I do think India is mm. irrepar is, is, is very close to being irreparable today. Wow. And the reason why I say that is you have to think about India like a lot of other developing nations. It's a very young nation. Right. People don't know in India. There is sort of an India that I know of that you know of maybe just through films or books or whatever right. of the Beatles going and experiencing an ecumenical India. That India did exist. It's really being wiped out. The names of cities are being wiped out. Languages right. are being, you know, Muslim, like, all of that. And you have had a Muslim community that is entirely coward. And you've got such incentive. And so what what happened? I mean, at least in the United States, you know, there has been this pushback, right? You have like, when I think about the Islamophobia that happened in this country, now we see a pushback and now we see, thankfully, like we see this conversation and we see solidarity among Latin Latinx, and Black people, and Muslims, and Jews, and trans people, and it's a beautiful solidarity yes. that doesn't happen in India. Wow, it doesn't happen in India.
0: So the Muslims are expected. I mean, they're twenty percent, but they're expected to pff, just accept uh, 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 Hindu supremacy, and and so that there. It sounds like there's a i mean there's systemic racism here what a surprise but it sounds like uh it's really built in there too is there a fight against this uh anti-muslim stuff is there a left in india
1: there is yes there is and there there's a left but it is a very it is a very weakened left Uh and it's not as strong as it used to be and now Mm. part of this issue i'd say is that you know the opposition parties have also been really useless as well too and we see this with like sometimes this, you know, spineless Democrats, and i worked for a Democrat for for so long. Uh So I see this oftentimes, you know, when, you know, and I saw this when I worked in D.C., where, you know, the Democrats wouldn't fight back on issues of immigration. At least when I worked there, it's like, well, we don't talk about those issues. Really? Then who's going to talk about it, you know? Now, so there's a left. The problem is, is that they're underfunded, and they're also attacked as well, too. There have been people. I mean, Tista Settelabad is a wonderful lawyer in Bombay who fought courageously and fights courageously for Muslims who were victims of the 2002 violence. Mm-hmm. You know, she was put in, she was arrested. Uh, Sanjee, Sanjeev Bad, a police officer who uh, testified that Modi told police officers do not act, do not uh, stop the rioters for the first few days of the violence. Mm-hmm. He was, He's still in jail right now. I used to go to his house for, for lunch. So, so that's, that's a really chilling factor. And again, we don't see in the diaspora this mobilization. We don't see uh-huh. that at all. Uh-huh. Now, the one silver lining to all of this yes. is that India is obsessed with getting approval from the United States. Uh-huh. If all of a sudden there were to be, let's say like a number of US politicians I'm not talking about I like Ilhan Omar and, and others, but like mm. others, mm-hmm. you know, really speaking up sort of more center, centrist Democrats speaking up about what's happening. India will respond because they're obsessed with American uh-huh. approval. Oh, I mean, there's, there's all these memes of Modi grinning like a child in a candy store when he sees whether it's President Obama or President Trump. And now I guess President Biden, but because he loves he loves more than anything. And that's the curious thing, right? I mean, the danger of Islamic fundamentalism, they don't care about anything, right? All they really care about is their own connection to their faith. And so how then can you communicate with them? You know? Because they're operating on a different plane,
2: uh-huh. you know?
1: Whereas with, with Hindu nationalism, their weakness is when you say things like, um, like they would always ask me like, how much do people talk about India and the United States? Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, <laughs> not really, not a lot. Not
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: people, talk about, people talk about China. And they're like, really, yeah. really talk about India all the time. They're
0: like, not really. And insecurity, yeah, insecurity. Mm, makes us do bad things. Lord knows. So, what can people do? It sounds like Modi's coming to the United States. If if people are interested, we can, you know, talk to our members of Congress and and tell them about uh, the uh, the. Uh, racism, you know, the anti-Muslim uh, stuff and the uh, Hindu nationalism, how dangerous it is, and perhaps put a little bit of pressure on our members of Congress because uh, Modi cares so much about the United States.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, probably the best thing is to, to tell your elected officials that you want them because elected officials respond Because it suits them politically or because there's some sort of force from their constituents, which also suits them politically, right? There's not that groundswell. Mm. When I work in Congress, we never heard anything about India. Never. Mm. I mean, there might be activists here and there. And so there has to be much more. There has to be more support because then... Um, so that's one. The two is I think it's time for Americans to rethink their romanticized ideas about India. Uh, because what, that, what happens is that, you know, that romanticized idea about India, it makes the work, frankly, of people like myself very challenging. Uh, because, you know, what happens is I'll, I'll write an article and someone, or I'll you know give a lecture and someone will say, oh, yes, but, you know, I had a great time at a yoga retreat. Hey, listen, you know, when, when, when the violence was happening in Ferguson, I was having a great time at a writing retreat in Utah. That doesn't cancel out the fact that this violence was happening. I had one of the best summers of my life. I was at a wonderful retreat in Utah, but doesn't cancel the fact that this gruesome violence was happening not that far from me in Missouri. So I think there has to be a way we have to think as Americans because Our romanticized ideas about India. And I see this all the time. I mean, I used to go to yoga, but now I don't go to yoga because people are like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm writing a book. What's your book about? And I'd say, oh, you know, it's about this, this, and this. i am like, oh my God, like, don't be so down. Don't yeah, be so, no don't be so negative, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, and so India does benefit. And the Indian American community, and I need, need to be specific here, the Hindu American community has exploited that. They've exploited that. I mean, look at so uh-huh. many politicians. Uh-huh. I mean, this is a funny joke that we say among Indian Americans. How many Indian Americans run for office? And when they're going up there in their first speech, they say, "My grandparents marched with Gandhi." Really? Did they uh-huh. really march with Gandhi? And then, if they marched with Gandhi, why don't you ever talk about what's happening in India today?
0: Uh huh. Interesting. I well, mean, we have come to the end of our hour. So here, John Muhammad. It's fascinating. It's so good to learn uh, about things that a lot of people don't know about. If people, uh, is there a website that people can find more of your writing? Yeah,
1: I just got, this is my name. It's pulling dot com, and all my articles are there.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks, Bert. Appreciate it. Have a nice day. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and, of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.